Fresh Economic Thinking podcast. New ideas and analysis with Dr. Cameron Murray and Jonathan Gadir. Hi, listeners. So, I have a friend with a physics degree who is just the smartest person I know. And he's very unique in his perspectives because he came from a background of real poverty. I know this because we went to school together. He's got a very shrewd view of how experts as a class of people have deep biases and push harmful outcomes onto people less powerful than themselves with no accountability. I'd like to read a Facebook post that my friend wrote in 2016 that came up recently in the Facebook memories. It's titled, In Support of a Fuck-Up Levy. Taxes should be raised, including on the middle class, especially those with any kind of bureaucratic or commentariat in the broader sense, power. It should be a specific tax at a fixed percentage, like the Medicare levy, called, say, the fuck-up levy. That doesn't go into general revenue. Instead, it's put aside into a special fund for the inevitable day that their expertise or bureaucracy turns out to have been wrong fucked up and has fucked up the lives of others on a systemic scale. Then the money in the fuck-up fund can be used to pay for restorative justice for those whose lives were deleteriously affected by said fuck-up. As an example, it's been noted that neoliberal economists have gotten away scot-free despite fucking up on a grand scale with their bullshit theories. But it couldn't be just limited to neoliberal economists because the whole point is to build the fuck-up fund in advance of fuck-ups by experts whose fuck-ups will only become clear down the track. It's too late to raise fuck-up money when the fuck-up occurs. So since we can't be sure which branches of economics or other expertise will turn out to have fucked up in the future, all the experts need to pay the fuck-up levy. The argument surely extends to all social sciences and surely to all sciences and to all people with bureaucratic power, and rich people should be paying more tax anyway. All the people in charge during the stolen generations, past and present, fuck up levy. So just impose a fuck up levy on all middle class people and above. Basically, if you're in the large class of people with bureaucratic or other expert power over the rest of us, you should be paying now so that when you and your colleagues eventually fuck it all up, we have some prospect of putting our lives back together. Cameron, this is probably the longest intro I've ever done. Um, how about how about you uh, tell me about yeah. what you think? <laughs> <laughs> look, that's just a terrific rant, isn't it, Jonathan? Yep. Um, look, as an economist, obviously it, it hits home. And as a profession, economists are renowned for predicting 10 of the last three recessions. Like uh, it's, it's, a, it's a become an inside joke in the profession that we just we're not good experts. We're we're not good at predicting the future. So I, I, uh, I very much feel for the sentiment that there is a class of people who um, have a lot of power and very little accountability for for the their actions and when they exercise that power. Uh, but that you know, I, I think that's it's always been the case. Uh, I do wonder if this would be a solution. What do you think? There is a certain pattern that we see in different branches, including um, things like robo-debt, including uh, medical medical research and so on, where the experts kind of 
push something kind of useful for them and their powerful and power and their status in society. And then later on, they kind of, when it turns out to have been wrong, they kind of pretend that they never said that thing. It's, oh, we've moved on now. Yes. No, no one believes that now. <laughs> I've been pretending that like they never said it or that, oh, well, that's all in the past. You know, we've, you know, we've moved on from that now and no one, no one believes that anymore, but the damp, the damage has been done and there's no accountability. Yeah. Well, you're totally right. And and how interesting is that robo-debt example for, for listeners who aren't following? Uh, Australia's welfare system enacted a, an automated uh, debt recovery algorithm that went and sent bills to all of the welfare recipients that didn't actually um, match the legal requirements. And so people were sent bills they didn't really owe because the algorithm was wrong. And we're having any, uh, a Royal Commission, I believe, is it? A Royal Commission, Jonathan, yeah. at yep. the moment? Yep, that's right. Into how how that actually happened. And the people there giving evidence, these are senior bureaucrats with jobs that are well remunerated, uh, lots of superannuation, lots of all the benefits. And they are saying things like, yes, I'm the director of this part of the welfare system uh, or I'm in charge, it's not really my job to check that what we're doing complies with the legislation. Yeah, They're saying things like this to the Royal Commission saying, you know, I didn't know if it complied, but is that really my job? You know, I just went along for the ride. And yet, yeah, the whole point of their position is that they're an expert <laughs> with some knowledge of the legislation and how to implement it efficiently. I mean, that's exactly what they're there for. And yet when push comes to shove, uh, there's really no accountability. So this will be a really interesting case study like you know could ha had we had uh, a fuck up levy um perhaps we could have you know paid back all these people that that got sent these uh, robo debt notices uh you know th th there's there's justice in many ways and that's definitely one of them and cameron we've had a lot of talk about this thing called the science in the last couple yeah. of years and the need to believe in it and the Economist magazine and its podcast on science and tech this week has a major piece on the incredible scale of fraud in medical and scientific research. And it really yeah. shouldn't surprise anyone that if you create an incentive structure in academic jobs, which is publish or perish, that you end mm -hmm. up totally corrupting scientific research. And even the British Medical Journal has published an editorial piece headlined time to assume that health research is fraudulent until proven otherwise question mark. Yeah. I actually heard about that. Now is, is that author, the former editor of the British Medical Journal as well? Uh, we should double check uh, that. Is, um, what's his name? It is Richard Smith was the editor of the BMJ until 2004. Yes. Yes. So isn't that isn't that just really saying something that the guy who has read more medical journal articles than anybody probably on planet Earth <laughs> yeah. is saying don't trust them because all the incentives are wrong. Uh and they're they're basically, you know, they're they're either um they're lying to just get published, they're lying because they're paid by pharmaceutical companies and have other incentives. Uh, but you just cannot trust these experts. And this is a, you know, if you're thinking about the institutional incentives of why your mate 
is completely justified in ranting about the fuck up levy, there are these institutional incentives, right, to um, to respond to, to sort of play the game of being an expert without actually being right in an objective sense. And you can see how that just expands across disciplines because all those journal articles, all the other doctors are reading them and trusting them and yep. advising patients based on them. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of the, the unwitting participants, right? Yeah. Uh, when there are these bad incentives at key points uh, along the way. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a shame. And, you know, I'm going to bring up COVID again, because let's mm -hmm. be honest, yes. is there a bigger medical yep. fuck up um, in the last three or four decades? Probably not. And what I mean by that is, is not so much um, medicines and the, and the vaccine, although we've seen the vaccine did not live up to its promise in terms of stopping transmission and, uh, and, yep. and stopping COVID. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the public policy, you know, the public health apparatus of locking down, closing borders, all this sort of stuff. Um, I read an, a recent article by uh, a doctor, Marty Macari, who was testifying to the Congress in the US. Uh, he's a professor at John Hopkins University School of Medicine. And it said, 10 myths told by COVID experts now debunked. Right. So essentially, these designated experts told lies, basically, for it's not clear what, for social reasons, for institutional reasons, um, about things like, you know, natural immunity is no good. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like that's just clearly not not true right <laughs> like every everyone knew it then but the experts had this institutional or social incentive to go along with it and that just happens all too often you know i see it as an academic and an, as an economist obviously economics is very heavily influenced by uh financial interests in how we present our analysis of the economy but it's true in academia um you know i, I do a lot of work in housing and i've called it the housing industrial complex before right? These yeah. housing experts, they don't get rewarded for pushing for policy settings that solve housing problems. They get rewarded for having housing problems and being asked to come to conferences and tell people how great they are at researching these problems. And if there's no problems, they're not important anymore. And and the, the very worst case of that um, happened to me about six years ago after I first released the book Game of Mates in 2017. And it's about grey corruption, right, in Australia's institutions. And I got a random phone call uh, from a lady and she said, hi, Cam is this Cameron Murray? You don't know me. Um, I work for a homelessness organisation and I'm studying social work and I'm, you know, I'm really trying to do my part. But I've been there for a year and I've realised now that they don't want to solve homelessness. And it's really upsetting. And I don't know if anyone will understand except you. They are big into um, the appearance of 
solving homeless you know homelessness the ceo does the the sleep out where all the ceos you know oh, yeah. sleep on on a cardboard with their sleeping bags one night in winter to show how much they care the ceo does that you know we cook food for them we give them clothes but when the government asks us for input on policy to actually give people houses and get them off the street you know everybody there seems to find excuses why that's not the right thing to do because you know if that happens they're out of a job right so they've got this huge incentive as an expert to sort of play this pretend game of being an expert so i think we saw that in covid um that incentive to be important as an expert so oh we've got to do this harsh thing because that's the only way i'll get my face on tv or get published uh because you know covid created this wave of academic publications about COVID, about COVID policy, right? Mm -hmm. This is the way you get your citations up, you get your publications up. So it's good academically. It's good for your reputation if your face is on the news. You know, people go, who's that guy? Look up his research. Oh, I'll get him to come and speak here. And um, so there's these perverse incentives. And and yeah, so that's, uh, we got it wrong with COVID and we're finally having a reckoning, but we didn't have the fuck up levy in place. Imagine how much we should have raised then. Uh, but it's I, I experience it every day in academia, in housing as well. Yeah. Getting back to the uh, the Economist piece this week, um, if I had a critique of it, it would be that they're veering a little bit too much into the, oh, this is a problem of some bad apples. But mm. as the BMJ piece pointed out, it's not really a problem of bad apples. It's a you know, the, the whole expression is a few bad apples spoil the barrel, something like that. And yeah. it's really a problem of, a, of bad barrels and and of rotten forests and orchards, as that article says. Um, <laughs> it's a system problem. It's not, um, you know, this person who's just a bad person kind of problem. And uh, yeah, right. example one from the Economist piece that I wanted to give, one particular influential paper about the causes of Alzheimer's disease that appeared in the prestigious journal Nature and was cited over 2,000 times, caused billions of dollars to be directed into research on a particular protein or a you know, bunch of proteins called amyloid oligomers. <laughs> it also led to trials to investigate an experimental drug. And it's clear now that everyone who was given the, that drug was facing unnecessary health risks associated with an experimental treatment with no possible benefit. Um, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And the, the second example, again, completely fake papers in cancer biology where this is apparently just happening on a big scale where someone takes a genuine paper and uses it as a template and just changes the gene or the protein or, you know, just changes wow. one thing in the paper. And these fake results go into the literature, they get cited by others, and it leads to drug development on, and clinical guidelines. And what the Economist piece points out is that that means doctors are, have been giving advice to patients based on completely fake data. And what they say is that this yeah. is the tip of the iceberg because they don't know um, all, like, the vast majority of the articles that are fake. Um, wow. And yeah. so 
It really does surprise me when you have big science communicators in the media, whether that's Norman Swan or Neil deGrasse Tyson in America, who won't engage with this reality. And it's interesting because Norman Swan in his career did do big pieces exposing medical fraud and research fraud in the past, many, yeah. a couple of decades ago, maybe. Um, so yeah, I don't know people, I will link to it in the, in the notes, the economist piece, but also there's this <laughs> clip that's been doing the rounds in YouTube of Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's an astronomer, admittedly not a medical guy, but he totally lost his temper with an interviewer asking pointed questions about the mm. drip, drip, drip of revelations that show the mRNA vaccines, which I, I took three of them. Um, that show these vaccines aren't as great as they were first touted to be and and that maybe it wasn't and isn't justified for everyone, even those with small risks, um, being forced to take them or highly incentivized, shall we say, through yeah. employment and other things to take them when they haven't really been fully studied. And Neil deGrasse Tyson basically exploded at this interviewer in exasperation and he shouted something to the effect of, we have a whole system in place to develop safe vaccines. What are you talking about? And wow. well, th this is this uh, very strange and unrealistic view of what this system is yes, uh, as something that is uh, without biases and without vested interests yeah. <clears throat> look you're totally right uh and and, and the, the, the funny thing is that this article came out what, in 2023 in 2005 john eonidas wrote an article um that is called why most published research findings are false and <laughs> yeah. he basically you know he didn't explain fraud and whatnot he basically just said you know just being published doesn't mean that something's true because um you know, there's a lot of false positives and there's publication bias and therefore um, a lot of what gets there is is accidentally wrong already. Mm. And that's the majority, right? And so if you now include what The Economist article is talking about, which is fraud, intentional fraud, um, you know, it's it gives you a, a strong reason to be very cautious uh, and take the opposite view to Neil deGrasse Tyson of... Um, yeah, you know, it's great to have a system in place, but we should keep improving it and we should really still be sceptical uh, until we see the evidence on the ground in practice somewhere, right? Uh, so I do find it odd, these experts sort of, it's like a self-referential thing. I trust myself because he did that article and I trust his article and we trust each other, but um, you can have this this whole self-referential um problem built on frauds or or inadvertently wrong things and that skeptical attitude we just ah oh, you know there's just not enough of it around and and we saw that again bringing up covid uh people people uh people like that feeling of certainty i guess mm. um so maybe that's part of the, yeah. the human nature dilemma to it all and we know and we know that's the case about pharma because these companies, the pharmaceutical companies, pay billions of dollars yeah. in fines for That's various right. various types of fraud, including for falsifying clinical trial data. And yeah. that's published, like that, that's that's out there in the news from before COVID and for you know for decades. So that's the system that yeah. that, that that he's yelling about as as we have this system. Yeah.
to develop safe vaccines, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really bizarre how, how where he gets that confidence from besides um, the social, you know, where where the experts stop questioning us, sort of, you know, that social incentive because anyone who can see the facts on the ground knows you should be skeptical of pharmaceutical companies, right? Because, you know, like I said um, about the homelessness organization, yeah, they don't really have an incentive to, to get rid of their customers, but neither do pharmaceuticals. Uh, there was a, a great quote by uh, a Goldman Sachs analyst last year looking at biotechnology startups. And he said, is curing disease a sustainable business model? <laughs> and and everyone laughed, but you know he's just pointing out a true fact that's been true for many decades in pharmaceutical research, right? Uh huh. I don't I don't know where I saw this, um, and I hope I'm not misremembering it, but it was about vaccine hesitancy, not vaccine hesitancy generally, but specifically for the COVID vaccines. It was highest among the poorest and those with PhDs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, that yeah, I saw that survey. That came out quite early. And I do wonder if those PhDs, you know, work in biotech labs and whatnot and realize that, you know, a lot of this stuff is just being made up on the fly um, and we're just crossing our fingers that it does the right thing and there's a lot of bad incentives along the way. And I have um, to say, yeah, like, that's a, right. a personal reflection, like both my parents have PhDs and I always remember getting from them whenever they you know, remember the family went to the doctor, it was me or someone else, and um, there was always a sense of, kind of well let's let's see what someone else thinks about this let's get a second opinion um let's not just jump into the first you know taking the first pills that were prescribed you know there was always a sense of well let's assess these people pro- you know holistically does he seem to be phoning this yeah. in like does he really seem to be paying attention <laughs> you know to, does he or she really uh seem to know what they're talking about let's let's get a second and third opinion before we do anything drastic you know um, Look, that makes a lot of sense, but it's very it's very hard to train yourself to do that. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I have a PhD, and it, it took me a lot of time to generate that attitude of, do we really know that? Does that person really? Like, you always write with confidence about what you know. All the experts do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to understand that you know, all the experts contradict each other as well. So they can't all be right. There's, there, there should be some humility there. And as an outsider, you should really take everything with a grain of salt and, you know, reality check it wherever possible. And yeah, just sure. to, to sort of wind up on this theme, another example that we mentioned on an earlier episode is um, the uh, the ABC broadcaster who has a his own podcast, Josh Sepps. And he was proud to say that he was, wrong about the vaccines but wrong for the right reasons because he followed the science um but and and of course you know we've just mentioned how i think that's a false trust but the thing that i understand sort of where he's coming from in the sense that if you can't trust something at some level where what do you have right so he he Mm -hmm. scoffs at he scoffs at the idea of doing your own research right he's like these all these people out there on the internet doing their own research Mm -hmm. but it's really if there's no space for doing your own research, if you want to use that phrase, meaning yeah. critically examining a whole bunch of sources and so on, if if nobody outside institutions, orthodox institutions, can do their own research without being scoffed at and told that they're an idiot, then you're scoffing at potentially the only way to expose, yeah. you know, fraud and falsehoods from a corrupt system. 
and um, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but I don't. But I understand and, and, where it comes from because there's that sort of a need for. Well, if you can't trust them, who can you trust? What have you got? Uh, yeah, oh, like, and that's exactly right. I think at the end of the day, people should be able to trust experts and science scientists, right? That's that's sort of how we base our society and our. You know, you go to the doctor because they're an expert and you're not, right? You get an engineer to make sure your building won't fall over because they're an expert and you're not. Um, so we we should do that, and I think the the reckoning with inside academia, uh, with inside the medical research community is you know, uh, I think there needs to be a bit of more of a crisis before something changes. There's just so many economic incentives um, to to keep playing the game, and so publish yeah, or perish maybe... has to end. Like you can't you can't do that. You can't have that model of employment right in academia. Uh, uh, look, I'm 100% with you and, uh, you know, I have a lot of strong views on peer review as well. So peer review obviously is, you know, very self-referential. If you are trying to point out that some, someone's wrong, they're likely to review your academic paper and say, no, let's not publish that, right? So wrong results um, can persist for a long time uh, in the literature and it's just so hard to um, get the truth to come out because, once this is in place, like that drug you're talking about, um, you know, it's a it's a fake drug. It gets cited. It gets de- developed into a therapy uh, and a product. And now everybody along the line's got an interest in that science being correct. So the guy that points it out, right? It just cannot. You know, everybody wants to shut them down before the truth comes out. So I think you really need a big crisis and a big reckoning um, for that to happen. Whether the fuck up levy. Can engineer the right incentives? I don't know. A question mark. We leave it hanging. Uh, Thank you for the discussion, Cameron, and uh, see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for the chat.